Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Um, So excited to get into the Word today. Um, We have a lot of ground to cover. So if you have your Bible or your phone with you with the Bible app, would you start uh, in 1 Samuel 17? And I know we just prayed, uh, but with the amount of content we're going to get through and... um, my, my critical flaw of wanting to cover every detail. I'm gonna pray again uh, so that the Lord would uh, guard my mouth from being stupid. So, Heavenly Father, we come this morning uh, to, to learn from your word. We come this morning to learn more about who you are and learn for our need of Jesus in the midst of these stories. So God, I pray that you would speak through me, that hearts would be open to hear what you have to say. And anything that is not to the glorification of who you are, Lord, and to King Jesus would fall straight to the floor. We thank you for this day and we pray in your name, amen. So 1 Samuel 17, verses two through seven says this, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley in between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels in bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. So if you were here last week, um, Maria did such an excellent job of, of telling us the story of how Saul had abandoned God and therefore God had abandoned Saul and chosen a new king in David. And so just before what we, ju- what we just read was 1 Samuel 16, where we see David at his father's house be greeted by Samuel, a prophet of God, and be anointed king of Israel. It was an act in secrecy because it was treasonous, and the penalty of it was death. And so in secret, Samuel comes to Jesse, David's father, and says, one of your sons will be the next king of Israel. And as he goes through, he finds the runt of the litter, David, who is a shepherd boy, and brings him in from the fields and he anoints him to be king of Israel right then and there. Something for us as we read the Bible that is dangerous is that we can read chapter to chapter in a very short amount of times. To go from chapter 16 to chapter 17 takes us but a second. Um, But the time span of David being anointed to where we are now in this, the midst of the scene of battle is about six to eight years. So I don't want it to be lost on us that David 
was anointed to be king of Israel as a teenager, only to be sent back into the fields as a shepherd boy. There was no grand gesture or ceremony, but instead it was in private with Samuel, God, and David that he was anointed. And he might've walked away in a new anointing, but he was still little brother. He was still shepherd of the sheep. And so I want us to to quickly uh, look at this, that don't let what God has anointed you with be overshadowed by your desire to step into it. Because this young, brash teenager could have easily been anointed by God and the Lord was with him. He could have easily said, I'm gonna go into the throne room of Israel and I'm gonna overthrow Saul because I'm now the rightful king. God has given me this title. But what probably would have happened is Saul would have seen that as treasonous and had him killed right on the spot. If David were successful, there would be a young teenage boy on the throne who by force took the kingdom of Israel by himself and probably would not be prepared yet for the title. And so as we go through the story of David and Goliath and as we go through the story of David and Saul and their battle, I want you to see the the interweavings of God preparing David for this kingship. I want you to see that how God has anointed David and then he will not only prepare him, but the process will absolutely make David into this rightful king in due time. So in in chapter 17, we see a scene change. We're no longer at David's house. We're now in the middle of these two enemy camps in a valley. And there's this grand champion, Goliath. I know that this is probably one of the most well-known stories ever told from the Bible, but if you would bear with me, I think there's a lot of goodness in it that we can get out. And so we see this champion, Goliath, step out of his camp and he lays down this challenge to all of the Israelites. Goliath is nine foot nine. He has bronze armor that weighs upwards of 125 pounds. He is this grand champion. And in verses eight through 10, this is what he says to the Israelites. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? He said, why are all of you here? He said, am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. I speak down, I speak lowly of the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, this was a different tactic. This wasn't a normal thing in this time period to have this kind of champion um, battle one-on-one. But Goliath, who's nine foot nine, who's very strong, is a pretty good betting chance. If I was a betting man, I would like my odds. It's like, listen, if I was the Tennessee Volunteers basketball head coach, praise God I'm not, and I had a nine foot nine center, if anyone on my team took a three pointer, I would take him out of the game and I'd beat him out back. You throw it to Goliath and he's gonna put it in. So this is what the Philistines said. They were like, we have Goliath, this champion. Why would we risk the lives of all of our people? We'll just send out champion versus champion 
and then they will be enslaved to us because who is going to defeat this Goliath? And so this challenge is presented to Israel. And now what is their next, next task? They're just supposed to find a champion and send them out. The obvious choice is King Saul. We read in the text earlier in the series that Saul was a head taller than every other man. Uh, as we learned last week, he was a great warrior. He had a lot of wonderful victories and delivered Israel out of these battles against the Ammonites and the Philistines. They've already defeated the Philistines before. So it would make complete sense that Saul would step up to the plate as king and take on Goliath. If you remember to week one, that's what Israel declared they wanted. They went to the prophet Samuel and said, we want a king who will make us like other nations who will fight for us and who will judge us. So that's number two, he's just gotta do that. But in verse 11, it says this, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And I love that, they, that, that the text here distinguishes Saul and all of Israel. We start to see the separation between Saul and the kingdom that he is over. Notice here that Saul's fear drives his decision-making. It's a right now problem for Saul. He just sees this enemy in front of him and he says, this is the issue that I've come face to face with and I'm afraid of it. As you can probably tell, Saul did not take the challenge. And so the story continues that for 40 days, Goliath would come out and he would declare this challenge to the Israelites saying, come fight me in the winter, enslaves the loser. During these 40 days, Shepherd boy David is sent on a task by his father to be a delivery boy for his three older brothers who are in Saul's army. Crazy that his three older brothers just so happened to be enlisted in the army and that in this time period, out of all of the other times that David's father says, we need to send supplies to your brothers, go take these supplies to them and come back. So David relinquishes his flock to a helper and he leaves his house to go to where the fighting is happening. And it says this in verses 24 through 27, all of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, talking about Goliath, and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so it shall be done to the man who kills them. So King Saul in the midst of these 40 days who is so fearfully afraid of Goliath says, listen, there is a great bounty for whoever kills Goliath. I'm not gonna do it, but guess what? I will give up some of my riches. I will give up one of my daughters and I will make the family of the champion free in this kingdom. That last privilege actually exempts the victor's family from service to the king at court. It was basically tantamount to bestowing equality to the king. 
Notice how God is intertwining these and how God is preparing the way for David. Goliath in his fear is saying, if there's a champion that would come up and defeat, that if David would defeat Goliath, he would not only get riches, which his family didn't have, he would become son-in-law to the king and his family would be free of the king's court, almost equal to king at that time. Because Saul's heart here is fearful and afraid of the challenge ahead of him. And notice David's heart. David is driven by righteous anger that there is this heathen who is coming and speaking lowly of his God and the armies of his God and God's people. He's saying, who is going to defy the armies of the living God? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? It's like, who is this guy? Because David, David's heart is centered around honoring the Lord and making sure that no one would speak lowly of him. And so David said, I, I wanna do this. I know that I can defeat Goliath because I know that I serve the living God and that there is no man that can overcome the armies of the living God. And in verses 32 through 37, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail him or fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And notice this, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. David's courage came not only from his faith in the Lord, but also his recognition of his preparation. He was unafraid of Goliath because the Lord had already prepared him for battles with enemies much larger than himself. And every single battle that he ensued was someone larger than himself. Notice that he says that it was because they took the lamb from the flock before David is ever king in the eyes of Israel, he fights for her as his own. Him as a shepherd boy protecting his flock is a beautiful picture of a king protecting his kingdom. Because the shepherd is not there for the glory of being a shepherd, but there for the care of the sheep. And although it's not quite time for David to take the throne, the Lord has orchestrated moments for the true king to step in in Israel's need. Thus, we, we begin to see the difference between the minds of Saul and David. When Saul feared for his life, David fought for God's people. Verses 41 through 47 says this, and the Philistine, Goliath, moved forward and came near to David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. 
And the Philistines said to David, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? If you're unfamiliar, David walked up without any armor on, with only a slingshot and five stones in hand. And Goliath cursed David by his gods. The Philistines said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Notice that Goliath is coming for sport. This is just what he does. He is a warrior and he is going to kill his combatants. David comes with a mission. He is going to let the whole earth know that there is a God in Israel. And regardless of the weaponry brought up against Israel, the Lord will save them. Joyce Baldwin says this, the Philistine Goliath has sealed his own fate by pitting himself against the armies of the living God who has already given David deliverance from a lion and a bear. And because he is living, he is always at hand to save. Therefore, David can assert that the Lord will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Can you imagine having this kind of confidence in your daily life? Can you imagine having this mission-like centered heart as you embrace everything that this world throws at us? And notice where David's confidence came from. David's confidence was rooted in remembrance. Most times when we come face to face with a mountain, we just see the sheer size of the mountain. When we come face to face with an enemy, we just look at it at face value and say, this is too too much to overcome. But what David did is he said, I see this as nothing more than what I've already come through. The Lord has already delivered me through all of this and he has called me to this. Just like David protected his flock from the beast, he would protect God's people from the enemy. And I I think many of us in this room know the ending to the story that it was one little swoop of the, the slingshot and one stone that struck the Philistine. Verse 50 says, so David prevailed over him with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There's no sword in the hand of David. The first thing to note in these chapter in chapter 17 carries forward the contrast between David and Saul established from what we learned last week. The spirit of the Lord was with David and it had abandoned Saul. The contrast between the actions of David and Saul clearly reflects the difference between a person controlled by God's spirit and one who is not. David was outraged by Goliath's ridicule and he rose to the challenge of defending the honor of both Israel and Israel's God. Saul was intimidated by Goliath's blustered and cowered in fear before his threats and invitation to battle. 
David is portrayed as a person with great faith in contrast to, to Saul who is paralyzed by fear. David's primary concern was with God's honor. Saul's primary concern was his livelihood. And David's victory carries a significance beyond his own glory, but it presents a significance that Israel would be protected by its God and not by sword and spear, but instead by faithfulness and promise. So as we continue in this story of David and Saul, we see three things happen because David defeated Goliath. One, it it establishes David as a victorious warrior who defended Israel. David goes from a shepherd boy in a field to now this great warrior that is known throughout all of the lands. Number two, it intertwines David and Saul and their life together. Because David took on this challenge, he is now given riches. He is given a daughter of Saul and his family is now equal to a king. And three, we see that it creates Saul's disdain for David. This victory will be the root or the seed that plants this hatred for Saul for David. Because David defeating Goliath would not be this news headline that would get lost in the mix of things in a week, but instead it would be saying about for generations and even for us to talk about 3,000 years later. David was now recognized as the champion of Israel who defeated the Philistines. And unfortunately, we see that that victory would drive Saul to jealousy and envy. In chapter 18, verses one through four, as they're leaving the battle scene, it says that as soon as he had finished speaking with Saul, the soul of Jonathan, who was Saul's son, was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. This is the beginning of a beautiful brotherhood between Jonathan and David. And this gift of a robe is not just a nice gesture or a beautiful gift, but instead it is a significant symbolic moment in history. Because Jonathan, who is the son of Saul, the rightful heir to the throne in this monarchy, when he strips himself of his robe, he strips himself as being heir to the throne of Israel. And as he gives it to David, he says, I understand that you are the next king. I'm giving up my right for you. And see that as the Lord is working through Jonathan, he is creating an even easier pathway for David to move into the throne. Verses six through nine say this, as they were coming home, David returned from striking down the Philistine. The women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me have only ascribed a thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? 
and Saul eyed David from that day on. This song, which had no ill intent for it, was not uh, supposed to be this declaration that Saul was lesser than David, but instead it was supposed to celebrate the team of Saul and David together taking on the Philistines and being victorious. But unfortunately, Saul's pride would not let him see that. Instead, he saw that David got a greater number than he. And so he said, what more can David have than the kingdom? You see, Saul's life was rooted in this pride of being king of Israel. Therefore, he must be glorified above all things else. And so for David to get glory in his eyes meant that David was his enemy. Saul was driven by the praise and admiration of others. So for him to feel like he lost that would drive him to destruction. When we build our value and identity on the praise of others, the foundation of our life will be built and destroyed by the changing tides of the world's loyalty. Because Saul so desperately needed praise without having the courage to work for it, it would ultimately cost him everything. Notice how, how this root of pride grows the jealousy of, of Saul in verses 10 through 12. It says, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. It's funny that as, as pride is rooted and jealousy grows, that a harmful spirit is now bestowed upon him. It says that he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. This was a normal day for David. He was singing praises to God in the court of the king, which was his job at times to help relieve some of the tense spirits that, that Saul dealt with. And it says this, that Saul had a spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, right? But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Saul's jealousy led him to an impulsive action. And notice that his reasoning behind it is he recognized God's hand on David's life. And so instead of turning to God and saying, I've seen what you've done for David, I see how you're moving with David. I see what your spirit can do in my life because I've seen the proof firsthand. And Lord, I wanna follow you. Saul says, I'm just gonna stop it where I can see it. So instead of turning to the Lord, he says, I will try to kill what the Lord is doing. Matthew Henry says this about the first attempt on David's life. It says, compare David with his harp in his hand, aiming to serve Saul, and Saul with his javelin in his hand, aiming to slay David. And observe the sweetness and usefulness of God's persecuted people and the barbarity of their persecutors. But David's safety must be ascribed to God's providence. David escaping from this barrage of spears was only because of God's sovereignty in the matter. God was going to protect David. And so that drives Saul even more mad. David has escaped his clutches in an almost like a bad uh, superhero movie. Saul starts creating this devious plan to murder David. 
And so what he did is he said, you know what? I'm not gonna kill him in my court. I'm gonna make him a commander of my army and I'm just gonna send him to go fight the Philistines. So Saul's grand plan to try to kill David is have the Philistines do it for him. He tries to kill someone who's, God's hand is on by sending them into battle. And in verse 14, we see how good uh, that works by saying, by the, the text saying, David had success in all of his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe. But all Israel and Judah loved David for he went out and came back before him. So his plan didn't exactly work. He tries to kill David, but instead God makes sure that David is successful so that all of Israel and Judah will learn to love this great commander of the, of the army who is successful in all of his undertakings. And so Saul has to go back to the drawing board. And he says, you know what? I remember I have to give one of my daughters to wed David. So that's how I'll get him. I will make him wed one of my daughters and that will be the thing that, that will open the door for me to murder him. And in, in verses 20 through 21, it says, now Saul's daughter, Micaiah, loved David. And they told Saul and the thing pleased him. So Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son. It's a second time because the first time Saul tried to give one of his daughters to David, David said, I'm not a man of royalty. I'm not a man of riches. I'm but a servant. I, I have no right to marry into the king's family. So I have nothing that I can do to pay the bride price because back in those days, you had to pay a bride price. And so Saul says, this is perfect. I will try again and I will have my servants tell him this. Saul said to his servants, thus shall you say to David, the king desires no bride price except for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines and that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law before the time had expired. David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. So his plan doesn't work again. He says, I'm gonna send them out to the Philistines to get 100 foreskins. It is exactly what you think it is. It's the Bible. I can't control it. I'm sorry, but we're gonna talk about foreskins for a little bit because um, my next point is about it. Regardless of the leaders over us, we can still glorify God in everything that we do. Regardless of the challenge that was set before David, he went out in the Lord's name and was victorious. Not only was he victorious, but he brought back double the foreskins he was supposed to. Don't know why. That might be a flaw of David's that will, I don't know. Um, so anyways, Saul would not stop there and trying to kill him. None of his plans are working out, so he's just going to try to try harder and harder and harder to kill David. And notice that as he's trying to control it more and have a tighter grip on the situation, David becomes even more successful because the Lord is with him. 
Not only is he more successful in evading Saul, but also Saul's son, Jonathan, and daughter, Michal, who is, who is uh, David's wife at this point, are helping him. Saul's own family has turned on Saul to help their friend and their husband evade these tactics. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that Saul was always David's enemy. As soon as he conspired to murder him, Saul became an enemy of David. But David was never an enemy of Saul. David never took any opportunity to try to undercut Saul, but only to serve him. Most times our enemies are made by what we idolize. Because David was a man after God's own heart and was seeking righteousness and, and the glory of God, Saul became his enemy because Saul was seeking out himself and his own glorification. From this point forward in, in the story, we don't have enough time to get into it, but David will then become an outcast of Israel and a mercenary. He has, he has no chance of being seen in Israel because Saul is hot on his tracks trying to murder him. He's been driven away to wilderness, to wilderness, to city, to city, and Saul is chasing and murdering left and right to try to get to David. And where we leave David this week and where we'll pick up next week is that he is now this mercenary leader who God is still using to deliver people from the enemy with a constant look over his shoulder because he knows Saul is trying to take his life. And as we close this week, I think we've uncovered three truths. One, Saul's fear and jealousy were rooted in his pride. His pride for himself and his own glory drove him to jealousy and envy over David. And because he was so prideful, instead of laying down himself and giving it to the Lord, he said, I'll just try to stop the Lord. Number two, we see David's courage and victory were rooted in the Lord. Because God had prepared him for all of this, not only being a shepherd boy taking care of a flock, also being the youngest of however many boys, being able to serve his older brothers. He was able to come in and be this victorious warrior who cared for his people. Our third truth is that enemy, our enemies will grow from what we idolize. And the distinction between Saul and David, as Saul was anointed king, he chose himself. And because he chose himself, God abandoned him says that the spirit of God had left him completely. And David, who chose to follow the Lord, had his spirit with him. And he suffered. Let, let's not brush over that fact. David did not have this easy life. He suffered greatly, but he saw victory because the Lord was with him. We have these two differing kings. And the fact of the matter is, is every story has a good guy and a bad guy nowadays. 
very easy for us to find ourselves in the good guy's shoes, right? You always wanna be the hero, not the villain. But in reality, most times we're in Saul's shoes where we're choosing ourselves. We're choosing our pride. And then there's also downfalls of David where we will choose to try to cover up our tracks and not follow the Lord in everything. And with these two differing kings, it all points to one king, Jesus, who chose us over glory, who chose us over coming in and toppling the Roman government, who chose us to sacrifice himself for. And so daily, our challenge today is that daily we would look to Jesus and we would give our desires to him. Daily, we would lay down our pride and arrogance. That daily, we would step off of our thrones in the sandcastles that we've made that will be just destroyed by the tides of this world and would we put ourselves prostate in front of the King Jesus in the kingdom of heaven and say, Lord, I give my life to you and I will follow you. Andrew Murray says this, each time before you intercede, be quiet first and worship God in his glory. Think of what he can do and how he delights to hear the prayers of his redeemed people. Think of your place and privilege in Christ and expect great things. Daily, would we lay down ourselves for the kingdom of heaven? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning seeing the need for King Jesus, seeing the need for your mercy and love and grace to fall on us because we are a prideful, arrogant people that more often than not look out for ourselves. But you have provided for us this great king who would come and lay down his own life for us and that would give us an example for how to live life in servanthood to others. May we recognize that you're working in the midst of all things. May we recognize that you, are, you have this divine story that you are telling and we get to be a part of it. And God, I pray as it just said that every day we would be quiet and worship you and your glory and that we would think of the privilege we have with Christ to follow him closely. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.